You're listening to Hungry Gen Audio Podcast. So excited to be here. Um, I just want to share a quick word that I really felt during worship. Um, and it relates to the whole church and to Pastor Vlad and Lana. But during worship, I saw often in airports, you'll see pictures of different airlines and they're speaking about all the routes that they fly. I don't know if you've seen those pictures, but it's like one central hub and then all these lines going out of the central hub to all over the world. And I saw that picture during worship and I just felt like God was saying that this church is going to be a hub for the nations. Wow. I was not expecting that, but that was cool. Zach, that was, I was like, the Lord's confirming my word. Praise Hey. Um, <laughs> but I really felt that. And, and in the midst, I'm not saying that it, to, to hype anyone up or anything like that. If I say something like that, I really believe it and I really mean it. And I don't necessarily mean size, but what I mean is this church is going to have an effect on the nations. And what I see happening is people coming from all over the world to come here for a time period and then be sent back out to where they came from. And I just see the, the reach on the church growing more international to throughout the nations of people saying, I'm going to go there for a time. I'm going to get plugged in. I'm going to grow. I'm going to... I'm going to grow in intimacy with the Lord, power, train up, and then I'm going to go back to the nations. And you'll be able to link back moves of God to what's happening here in your local church. And I just really believe that. Um, Yeah, so you you can receive that or not. It's okay. But, But like Pastor Dad was saying, I'm a part of a movement called Awakening Europe, and I'll share a little bit of my journey this morning. But essentially, if you've never heard of Awakening Europe or we just recently started Awakening Australia, it's a movement, and basically what we do is we hire stadiums throughout Europe. It was founded by a man named Ben Fitzgerald. When him and Todd White saw a vision, about five or six years ago, they were standing on a field in Nuremberg, Germany, in the same place where Hitler commissioned his youth army 70 years before. So they're standing on the same field, and they're having a tour guide, and Ben Fitzgerald and Todd White are standing on this field, and Ben turns to Todd and says, bro, I just saw this vision in my mind, of thousands of people coming to this field of all different nations, and these people come together, get set on fire, and then go back across Europe preaching the gospel. So Ben shares it with Todd, and Todd says, bro, I just saw the same vision. So now they have a word from the Lord, and and on that same grounds is a big soccer stadium that seats 35 to 45,000 people, and they feel a word from the Lord, let's hire this stadium. And that's when Ben founds Awakening Europe, and how many of you know when you have a word from God, it's one thing receiving a word, it's a whole other thing doing what the word is. Especially when you have no influence, you have no money, and nobody knows who you are. So now Ben's living in America, but God's told him, hire a stadium in Germany. Stadiums are expensive to hire. So suddenly he wants to put on an event that costs 1.6 million euros, but he has no money and no influence. So pastors are flying from Europe to America to meet with Ben and say, hey, you shouldn't do this event. No one's going to come. That's always encouraging, right? So these pastors are flying, but Ben has a word from the Lord. And then God says to Ben, I want you to make it 10 euros a person. I don't know if you've ever been to a conference before, but four days in a stadium with with five or six huge well-known Christian bands and lots of speakers, 10 euros is very cheap and doesn't pay the bills if you do the math. But he has this word from God, and and long story short, what happens is over 27,000 people show up at the stadium to worship God together. And one thing that's very unique about our events is we send everybody onto the streets. 
so nobody gets to stay in the stadium. Every afternoon, everybody goes out and preaches the gospel. So think about that in cities like Stockholm, which is one of the most atheistic cities in Europe. Suddenly you have 15,000 people going out at the same time to preach the gospel. It shocks the city to life. It's really incredible to see it. And that's actually my role within Awakening is overseeing those outreaches and commissioning people and sending them out onto the streets. And a testimony I'll share with you is last year we did our first event in Australia. We felt like God was saying to also do an event in Australia. And we did one in Melbourne. And what we do is we print about 70,000 free tickets for the event. So by the time the event's over, there's 70,000 free tickets circulating within the city for non-believers to actually come to the event for free. And the day after Awakening Australia ended, we decided let's just do a mass baptism. We don't know if anyone's going to show up, but in all our booklets that the new believers get, there was this baptism page and come to this beach and get baptized. And I was like, I don't know if anyone's even going to come. So I show up a few minutes late, and there's like 400 people on the beach. Wow. I'm like, okay, God, I did not expect this. We need more baptizers. <laughs> and, and about 100 of them were new believers, and three or 400 Christians around them worshiping. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of the Jesus people movement that happened in California, but it looked just like that. It was really cool. And while we were baptizing people, I asked one of the women that came up to be baptized, I just said to her, um, have you ever given your life to Jesus or is this a rededication? And she said, I've never given my life to Jesus. So I said, okay, how did you come to the, the event? And she said, well, yesterday, seven people gave me free tickets. And after the sixth one, I thought, I should probably go to this event. So I came last night and got saved. So it's pretty incredible. Lots of people say, like, what's the point of a stadium event? That's the point of a stadium event. Our real people are getting saved and Christians are being equipped. And this morning, I'm, like I said, I'm just going to share a little bit of my story of what God did in my life and hopefully that can help you. Um, I just want to start off by reading a verse and I'm going to read out of James 1.27. If you have an, I, an iPhone or an iPad, you can take out your Bible. If you have a Samsung, keep it in your pocket. <laughs> This is a holy place. Amen. That was the loudest amen I'll probably get all day. But I'm okay with that. James 1.27, it says this. And the reason I feel that this verse is so important right now is I believe that the world is looking for what a Christian actually is. I believe that even the church is trying to find out what true Christianity actually is. And I believe that God's redefining to the church. He's trying to show them what Christians are actually supposed to look like. Because I think it's, it's been a bit changed over time. And that's something I'll share about this morning. But let's read that to start off. James 1.27, it says this. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So what, what he's saying there is this, the true religion, true worship, that word religion means worship or fearing God. That's what it means. So truly to worship God is not just to at attend church, it's not just to believe in God, but what it is is to actually love the outcasts of society. When this is being written, the lowest people in society are the orphans and widows. Those who are looked down upon the most in society are the orphans and widows. So what essentially it's saying here is this is what true worship to God is. That you would love the outcasts of society and remain completely unspotted from the world. 
And I want to point out that word that says to keep oneself unspotted from the world, not to become unspotted from the world. And I'm going to share a little bit about that, but let's first pray. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. We thank you that you're present in this room. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way, that you would come and encounter us. We don't want to just talk about you, but we want to encounter you this morning. Holy Spirit, we want to be led by you. We yield to you in this room. Have your way in this room. Have your way in this room. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a few years ago, we were doing an event in um, Prague in the Czech Republic. Have any of you ever been to Prague or the Czech Republic? One. Wow. Two. Going for a third? No. Okay. No. Okay. Basically, Prague is one of the most beautiful cities in Europe. So we show up there. And what's even better about the looks of Prague, they have these things that blew my mind. It was a churro with ice cream and chocolate and strawberries in the middle. It's hard to explain. It's hard to put into words the taste. It was like a churro in a cone with ice cream, chocolate, and strawberries in the middle. So I taste this thing. My life's forever changed. We go back to the hotel room. And I say to my team, let's go back tonight because by tonight, I'll want another one. Right now, I'm sick. I can't think of having another one, but I know by tonight, I want another one. So like, okay, we'll go. So that night, we go back downtown and we're looking at this beautiful city of Prague. And we're walking and it was the most strange thing. This guy approaches me. Now, I'm an evangelist. I love it when people approach me because normally I have to approach people. So this guy approaches me and he's like, hey, bro. I'm like, hey. He's like, do you want some heroin? And I'm like, that is not what I was expecting. Do I look like I want heroin? Do I look like, you know, I'm not going through this. Do I look, I don't look like I use heroin. Um, so I'm like, no, I don't want heroin, but Jesus loves you so much. And this drug dealer looks at me and he says, I know, bro, I'm a Christian. <laughs> now, it's very rare you'll find me speechless. In this moment, I was speechless. I just walk, I was like, I don't even know what to say. So we keep walking. I'm thinking about this. I'm like, how does this work? Someone stops me and it's like, hey, do you want a prostitute? Like the whole town changed when it got dark. Do you want a prostitute? And I'm like, no, I, I don't want a prostitute. But Jesus loves you so much. And he says, bro, I know. I'm a Christian. And I'm like, oh God, what is happening? <laughs> so I'm walking. And normally I have comebacks because I do enough outreach to know what to say. At this point, I'm like, Stunned. I'm like, I have no idea. But we keep walking. And within an hour, about 10 or 15 people that are either trying to sell us like a drinking experience, prostitutes or drugs, every one of them that approached us and I said, Jesus loves you, every one of them had the same response. I know I'm a Christian. And even to the point of I'm standing speaking to a drug dealer, there's a group of kids that are on a high school excursion a 14-year-old kid runs over, buys heroin from the drug dealer, and runs back to his group. And the guy I'm speaking to that sells on the heroin is telling me that he's a Christian. And as I'm standing speaking to this man, I'm like, Holy Spirit, what do I say to these people? Because they believe in you. They believe God is real. So I'm like, okay, is Christianity believing God is real? So I'm like, they believe you're real. So Suddenly this question comes to my mind, which I believe is the Holy Spirit. And I ask this drug dealer, and I say, do you see your friend over there who's also selling drugs? He says, yeah. I said, you told me a few minutes ago that your friend was an atheist. He's like, yep, he's an atheist. So I said, okay, what's the difference between your life and his life? And it's the only question all night 
that he couldn't respond to. He had no answer because his life was just like the atheist's life. And I left that night asking God, what does it mean to actually be a true Christian? Because I know my story is I grew up in the church and Christianity was this. I live like the world, except I feel bad for living like the world. I know that's none of you in this room, only me. But I had the most amazing parents who are probably watching right now. Brian and Cheryl, I love you, wherever the camera is. Amazing parents. But this is what Christianity was to me. I don't enjoy church. I have to give up two hours on a Sunday early. 9 a.m. was early. Amen. When you're a teenager, any teenagers in here? I'm like, I don't enjoy it and I have to give up Sunday? I mean, the baby's like, it's early. No. <laughs> but to me, I didn't enjoy Christianity and I had to give up Sunday morning. I was not into it. Christianity to me was more of a burden than a privilege. If I'm going to be honest with you where I was at. And why it was like that is because during the week I lived in sin, but I would wake up and go to church on Sunday just so I could walk out feeling like I was right with God. Right? Like cake and coffee on Sunday afternoon was the best part of my week. You walk into that coffee shop feeling good because you are right with God. People are like, what did you do today? I went to church. I'm right with God. I've done my duty. And that was standard Christianity. And if you raised your hand, you were even a better Christian if you could come in like this. And I mean, if you went to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, you had made it in the Christian circle. <laughs> Top tier Christianity was Wednesday night prayer meetings. Those were the real Christians. And that was honestly how I grew up viewing Christianity. And I think a lot of the world views it that way. Like, I believe in God, but I live like the world. And... And essentially, that was my journey. And then what started to happen was, and I actually remember that when I was like 12 or 13, I remember starting to ask my dad, he was the pastor of the church, and I was like, Dad, I'm 13 now. I know everything. I don't know if you know that. But when you reach teenage years, that's when you know everything. Amen. Any parents and you know what I'm talking about? Amen. So I'm like, I know everything. Now is my time to preach. Hand me the mic. My dad, as a good father, he said no for many years. But when I was 18, I remember finally getting my chance to preach. And I was like, okay, now that my dad's going to let me share 15 minutes, what do I preach on? I haven't been reading my Bible, so now I need to read my Bible. Because <laughs> I don't enjoy reading my Bible. So I was like, I started reading my Bible. I see this word righteousness. I'm like, that's a good word. I've heard it a lot in church. I feel like that's something people preach on in church. Let me Google what it means. Righteousness, to be right with God. So I start to formulate this message about being right with God. So I'm like, okay, what do you need to be right with God? Well, you have to attend church. So I start this message, attending church, reading your Bible, praying, believing in God. And I formulate this message and I shared it and it was probably the worst message I've ever preached. Um, it was all wrong. But that was my view of Christianity. And I want to read a verse out of 2 Corinthians 5. Because I feel this morning, when I was in worship, I felt that God was breaking off shame and condemnation of people in this room this morning. Because as a Christian, you should never live in condemnation. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means you don't have to live a moment of your life feeling bad about what you've done. That can be your reality. And this is what it says. Remember that Jesus was completely 100% man and 100% God. Are you with me? He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he was tempted. The Bible says God cannot be tempted, but it says that Jesus was tempted in every way. 
because he came in the likeness of flesh. It also says in John 4, he got weary and sat at the well. God's not getting tired anytime soon. But Jesus came in the likeness of flesh. He was 100% God and 100% man, so he could be tempted in every way. But he was the only one that came in flesh that never once sinned. Are you with me? Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So what it's saying is God made Jesus become sin on the cross. Amen? So that we might become the righteous of God in him, so that we might become right with God. So Jesus is on the cross, God makes him become sin. So it wasn't just Jesus that died on the cross, but it was actually sin that was crucified on the cross. But my question for you this morning is this, how did Jesus become sin? Did Jesus need to sin to become sin? No. Yet why do we believe that we have to act righteous to become righteous? Why do we believe we have to live righteous to become right with God? You cannot work your way into being right with God. And that's good news for someone today because coming to church didn't make you right with God. It can't. Because the church didn't die for you on a cross. I didn't die for you on a cross. Pastor Vlad didn't die for you on a cross. Coming here cannot make you right with God. You come here because you are already right with God. He did everything. You receive it for free and you live from that point. James 1.27, it doesn't say become unspotted from the world. It says remain unspotted from the world. I came to tell someone today that shame and that condemnation that you woke up with and you felt, let's go to church so I can feel better. You aren't supposed to live in shame and condemnation. And this is so important because every Christian is called to share their faith. Okay, but look at this. If you don't understand righteousness, you won't want to share your faith. And here's why. Because why would you go to someone and say, hey, Jesus loves you so much. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, you can live the rest of your life in shame and condemnation. And there's more. You can give up your Sunday morning. Right? That's why we don't share the gospel if we don't understand righteousness. Because we think Christianity is a burden. We don't want to invite somebody else into it. Why would I want to invite somebody else into that experience? I never evangelized. But I'm here to tell you today that there's no such thing as a Christian that's not called to be a soul winner. Every Christian is called to win souls. That doesn't make you an evangelist. An evangelist is called to teach the church how to win souls. Every Christian is called to win souls. Why? Because you're inviting people into the greatest privilege you could ever have. Christianity is not a burden. If I had a sermon title, that would probably be it. Christianity is not a burden. Christianity is a privilege. We've made evangelism or boldness a personality type, right? But here's a good verse for you. Proverbs 8.21 says this, The righteous are as bold as lions. Which means that boldness has nothing to do with the personality type. I'll try this side. That means boldness has nothing to do with the personality type. Okay, I'll stay on this side. You guys lost your chance. Boldness comes from understanding righteousness. So at this point, when I start understanding I'm right with God, God puts people in my life who are preaching the gospel every day. One of them is Ben Fitzgerald. I'm just going to Walmart with him and demons are coming out of people. 
people are getting healed. And I'm like, God, how are people getting healed? Nobody's even playing the keys. I don't get this, right? But I start seeing that I'm like, God, if there's more to the Christian life, I want it. I want more than just attending church. I've realized I'm right with God, but I want more. So I go into my secret place and I start seeking God, saying, God, I want more of you in my life. I want you to help me. Help is a great prayer. Because the Holy Spirit's called the helper for a reason. He probably thought you might need help sometime. So I'm just like, Holy Spirit, help me. It's, and it was kind of like Peter in Matthew 14. You know when Peter's in the boat and the storm's happening and he sees Jesus out in the water? And he's like, Jesus, if that's you, call me out, right? It was kind of like that of like, God, I want to do that. I want to live it out, but I need your help to get there. So I'm like, Holy Spirit, help me. And after two or three weeks of just praying with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit asked me this one question that changed everything for me. Within two years, I was standing on a stage commissioning 15,000 people to preach the gospel. And before this, I was never preaching the gospel. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. He said, what's more important to you, people's opinions of you or their eternity? And he wasn't condemning me. He wasn't making me feel bad. He wasn't ashaming me. He was essentially saying, here's the answer to your prayer. The balls in your court, what are the priorities in your life? And that day, the Holy Spirit just showed me that the priority in my life was people's opinions of me more than it was their eternity. And that day I realized that when I walk into Walmart or everywhere I'm going with God, I can change that person's eternity. But the only thing that's stopping me is their opinions of me. And honestly, in the beginning, it annoyed me so much. I was like, I wish I hadn't prayed that. Because everywhere I was going, suddenly I had this perspective and I had to leave my comfort zone. I had to get out of the boat. See, we have a lot of people that want to walk on water but aren't willing to get out of the boat. There's a lot of Christians that want to do amazing things, but they aren't willing to get out of their comfort zone. You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. The Holy Spirit's called the comforter for a reason. You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. See, you call to get out of the boat. We see a, here's a slightly a side note. We have a generation of Christians with these amazing callings to the nations and to change the world, which is incredible. But we... I've almost seen a generation that's been paralyzed by the size of their calling. Because we all want nations, but no one's willing to take their next door neighbor. We all want nations, but no one's willing to take their neighborhood. My question is this, do you think when you walk onto the plane to go to the nations, that suddenly you're going to start preaching the gospel? That there's going to be that counter on the plane, and you'll walk off a bold evangelist. You'll go there and do nothing like you were doing nothing here. And that sounds super strong. But it's like if you aren't taking your next door neighbor and your neighborhoods here, what are you going to do in the nations? What I've learned, everyone that's taking nations was first taking next door neighbors and neighborhoods where nobody knew who they were. Everybody you look up to, everybody on this stage, I guarantee you they were first taking next door neighbors and neighborhoods and then God gave them nations. So that's why it's about doing what you call to do every day. It's about being obedient. Right. Your calling cannot become an idol to you. That's right. How do you know your callings become an idol? When you seek your calling more than you seek your intimacy with God. That's right. That's right. 
Here's another way, you know, your callings become an idol. When you're more hungry for the resources your calling will release than for intimacy with God. You're more hungry for the money that the calling brings or the significance that the calling brings than you are hungry to be intimate with God. And we need a generation that's hungry for intimacy with God and hungry to touch their next door neighbor. We need a generation that's seeking God in the secret place. Because the reality is this, if you aren't reading your Bible and seeking God in the secret place, what are you going to preach to the nations? Do you think you're going to go to the nations and suddenly want to read your Bible? All you're going to have is your feelings to preach. Let's start taking next door neighbors and neighborhoods first. Let's step out here first. So I started this journey of preaching the gospel and just being obedient to God. I would hear God say, I'm 20 years old at the time. And God would say, you see that homeless person over there? Let him get into your car and give him a ride. I'm like, God, this is a nice clean car. I don't know if you noticed, God. I don't know about you. I negotiate with God. Normally I don't win. I'm like, God, he already has a skateboard. He doesn't need. He, he, he doesn't need a car. Um, so I let this guy get in, and once he gets in, God's like, let him sleep on your couch. I'm like, God, I'm 20 years old. He's about 50. But I was being obedient to God. At 20 years old, I put meth addicts on my couch for months at a time. That's not to brag on me. That's to say that God was allowing me to fight the lions and the bears when nobody knew anything before he allowed me to take on Goliaths. But we have a generation that's waiting for Goliaths, but we aren't willing to fight lions and bears. If you just wait for Goliath, the lions and bears will kill you. You have to be willing to fight for things when no one knows who you are. And we need to simplify Christianity again. So it comes back to the question of what is Christianity? How do you get to your calling? So let's read a Bible verse out of Acts 8. People often hear me preach and they say, wow, that was so simple. That's a great compliment to me. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I worry you'd be deceived from the simplicity of the gospel. Like Eve was deceived. See, I think when, when I stand before God one day and you stand before God one day, He's not going to be as concerned with whether your end time theology was right as he is with whether you love people. And I have nothing against end times theology. I love the Bible. I love theology. But he's not going to be like, you were right. I came back with a rapture. You were, you were successful. You know what I mean? He's going to be like, did you learn to love people? Did you learn to obey my Holy Spirit? Did you walk in the commands that I gave you? So I think we need to simplify what this is again. And I love Acts 8. So we're going to start in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. I love this verse. So basically he's chilling in his room one day. Put yourself in this position. It's so bizarre, the story. Philip is chilling in his room one day. Just maybe spending time with the Lord, maybe not spending time with the Lord. We don't know. And suddenly the Holy an angel says to him, get up and walk south for 100 miles. I don't know what 100 miles away from here is, but that's a long way. I worked it out. It would take two days of, working, of walking 16 hours a day in the desert. Ain't nobody got time for that. Amen. I'm not trying to walk 16 hours for two days in the desert. 
the craziest story, the craziest thing about the story is he actually gets up and goes. I don't know about you, but if, God, if I was chilling in my room and God was like, walk a hundred miles south, and someone was like, what did God say to you this morning in the secret place? I'd be like, well, God started to speak to me about my calling. He's right. He started to reveal some things to me. I'm on a journey. I'm just waiting for more information. Amen. <laughs> Philip just gets up and he starts walking. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm two or three hours into the walk in the desert with nothing on my back, no food, no drinks, no coffee, no other clothes, I'm, I'm like, God, okay, I'm here. Now, why am I here, right? Like, why am I walking on this road? God, I'm called to the nations. Why do you have me walking on a road? Right? But he just keeps walking. He's like, I'm just going to walk. I have no idea why I'm walking. And when he's walking, he's, we can, verse 27, so he arose and went. And behold, behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch under great authority of Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge over all the treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him. I love this. Philip runs and overtakes the chariot. You know what I mean? Just picture that. He's just like running in front of these horses. And he doesn't know why yet. He's just running. God says, go and overtake it. So he's just sprinting down the road. Imagine if you were in the chariot. You'd be like, what is this guy doing? He just sprints by. And he doesn't even know what he's doing yet either. He's just being obedient, right? He's called to the nations, but he's like, what am I doing? Why am I running on this road? So he runs down. So Philip ran and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he said, Philip, come and sit with me. And he started to explain the scripture to him. Now through that story, that man gets born again and he takes the gospel to Ethiopia. So the whole of Ethiopia gets the gospel because Philip started walking south down a desert road. See, simple obedience unlocks your calling. You think your calling is going to be one way and you've been waiting for that? So you haven't walked into it because you've left simple obedience behind. Think about it. If he was like, God, I'm not walking south. I'm called to change nations. Right? I'm not stopping that one person. I'm called to influence business. God, I'm not, I'm not stopping that one person. I'm called to influence Hollywood. What if that one person is the next Hollywood star that you just let walk by you? What if that next person is in government that God said, speak to, but you were like, no, it's not my calling. What if they were the next person who's going to influence the world? See, simple obedience unlocks your calling. Simple obedience. The road to your destiny never looks like you think it's going to look. If you said to Philip that morning, hey, you walk south down this desert road and the whole of Ethiopia is going to hear the gospel. He would have never thought that, right? He's just like, I'm going to be obedient. I don't know why. So I think we need to bring Christianity back to what is it? It's simple. It's remaining unspotted from the world and being obedient to God. Remaining unspotted, not trying to become unspotted. You receive it from God and then you don't allow the world to spot who you are. You stand out from the world. See, because when you become spotted by the world, it's like a lamp bulb that you put stickers over. Slowly it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until it doesn't work anymore. You're called to be a light. When you spot yourself by the world and no longer stand out, you'll no longer have the effect that God has called you to have in your life. 
So I believe God is saying today, let's come back to what true Christianity is. True Christianity is a lifestyle that looks like Jesus. It's not just attending church. It's not just reading your Bible. It's not just believing in God. James 2 even goes this far. It says this. You believe there's a God? Even the demons believe. That's in the Bible. Not me. Isn't that crazy? James 2. He says, you believe there's one God? Even the demons believe. The reason I say that is this. It's not just believing there's a God, but it's seeing that God. And when you see Him, you see who you were created to be, and then you begin to live that out. You're called to live a life just like Jesus lived. People often say, I'm going to start to end here. I'm an evangelist, so I get three endings. The first ending I've chosen out of James chapter 1. This is what it says. People often come to me and say, how do you remember so much of the Bible? I try and I just can't remember it. And this verse is why. James 1.22 says this, but be doers of the word, not hearers, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So when you just try to remember Bible verses, it's like looking at Jesus or looking at yourself and as you walk away, you forget what you saw. The best way to remember Bible verses is by, trying to, is by living them out. When you read the Bible, you see what you have access to and then you see what you have the ability to actually live out. And that's what we call to do. We come to the Bible, we see the life of Jesus, we see the Holy Spirit moving and we say, okay, God, I'm gonna live this out. I need your help, Holy Spirit. I know I can't do it on my own, but I'm gonna live a life like Jesus lived. And that's our goal. Amen. Amen. And my second closing, 2 John chapter two. This is a life verse I preach almost anywhere I go because I believe that the, the body of Christ needs it right now. Remember, John was one of the disciples that had the privilege of actually walking with Jesus. Isn't that such an amazing like, exo- like, opportunity to have? It's incredible, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if I would have wanted to be one of the 12 or just watch the 12 interact with Jesus. Because I don't know if I would have wanted the God of the universe calling me a perverse generation and saying, how long should I waste my time with you? I get hurt when my friend says that. Imagine Jesus saying it. So I'm like, I would have liked to watch it, but John had this privilege to walk with Jesus as one of his closest friends for three and a half years. And by the time he's writing 1 John to us, it's over 70 years since Jesus died on the cross. So they believe John's about 100 years old while he's writing this, and it's his last writings before he dies. And imagine you got to live with Jesus. You saw what Jesus preached. You saw the life that Jesus lived. And over the next 70 years, you've seen everything else that comes into the church. You've seen the different teachings, you've seen the different beliefs, the different lifestyles, and you've seen all this other doctrine that's come into the church. And it's almost as if John is like, before I go, I'm summarizing the gospel again. I'm summarizing what it means to be a Christian again. And this is the last book that he writes, and he says this, it's 1 John 2, verse 6. He says, he who says he abides in him, talking about Jesus, he who says he abides in Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Some translations say ought himself walk, live just as he lived. And that's what you and I are called to do. We're called to live like Jesus lived. And that means healing the sick. That means preaching the gospel. That means casting out demons. The band can come up because we can, I'm not gonna use my last clothes.
I know you're in the midst of a, of a healing series right now, but that goes right into what I'm saying. If you aren't willing to get out of the boat and heal the sick, you won't see healing take place. Peter puts himself in a position where he looks ridiculous if Jesus doesn't show up, right? He falls into the water. He looks ridiculous if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. It's time for us just to go out and preach the gospel, cast out demons and heal the sick. And when something doesn't go right, we don't blame the other people. You didn't have faith. We say that in the church. My biggest question always is this. How much faith did Lazarus have? Lazarus was dead and he got raised. It's time for us to stop blaming the world for not having faith when it's a lack on our part. When I don't see someone get healed, I go to God. I'm not condemned. I just say, God, I need more power. I need more faith. Somebody's faith can result in them receiving a healing. That, that's biblical. But there's nowhere in the Bible that their lack of faith stops them from receiving a healing. So we need to go out and heal the sick. Every one of you, the example for your life is Christ. And this is actually my third closing. I'm going to use it. I... I worked the worst job ever five years ago. I'd wake up at 3 a.m. to work and I'd ride my bike to this like coffee shop and make sandwiches. And eventually after two or three months, I got let go, fired, um, you know, whichever one you want, resigned. Let go, fired or resigned. You choose which one you want. Um, but the reason why I got let go, fired or resigned was because I had to make these five-inch sandwiches. And what I'd do is I'd, make the, I'd measure the first one with the ruler and I'd put the ruler away and I'd measure the rest by that first one. So eventually someone was paying for a five-inch sandwich and getting a 2.5-inch sandwich. And why was that? It's because I moved away from the original and started basing it on something that wasn't the original. And that's the same what has happened in Christianity. The example that you call to base your life off of is not me or a pastor or another Christian. But the main example that you base your life off of is Jesus. Can you stand? We're going to worship and sing a song right now. But I just want you to come before God. And just even in this moment right now, just repent if you need to. Just, be, just before you and God, even right now, just say, God, I don't want to live the boring Christian life. I don't want to live that life. I want to live the real thing. Because I'm here to tell you today there's more than just church attendance. There's more than just believing in God. God's answer to the tri-cities is Christ and you, the hope of glory. The prayers that you pray for God to move, His answer is you. He won't do it any other way. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is God's answer. God looks at you as His answer. It's time for you to live out Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just worship right now. Let that sink in. Just have that conversation with you and God. Ask the Holy Spirit for help right now to walk this out. I know you desire more of me. And I hear you calling out to me. Draw me to your presence where you are. God, breathe on me.
you right now to come with fire fall upon this room right now Holy Spirit God we ask for a baptism of boldness of your fire right now we need you Holy Spirit come right now touch people in this room 
Touch people in this room. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I feel that right now, you can put your hands down. I feel that God wants to heal the sick. He always wants to heal the sick. The beautiful thing about healing is that He's already paid for every person's healing. We aren't fighting for Him to purchase something. He's already purchased it. Your healing's already been bought on the cross. It's already yours. Often in church, we receive our sins being taken away. But first, John says it will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And sickness came through sin. Sickness came through the fall of man. Sickness has no place in your body. God is not teaching you a lesson. The only lesson that He could teach you through sickness is that He's a bad father and that's not who He is. God does not give sickness. If God gave sickness, then Jesus would have been destroying the works of the Father on earth. Have you ever thought of that? Because not every person Jesus went to was only healed. But every person that came to Jesus received healing. Every person that came to Him received their healing. And if that, if God's will was to give people sickness, then Jesus would have been destroying the works of the Father. Right? Healing people before they had learned their lesson. God prayed, paid for your sickness and He wants to take it out of you today. The Holy Spirit's here and where He is, sickness has to leave. The woman that Zach talked about who came with the issue of blood and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, all the flow of blood stopped in an instant as she came into contact with Jesus. When Jesus left, He said, I give you the Holy Spirit in my place. And the Holy Spirit's here. It's even coming into this room today, you came into contact with the hem of Jesus' garment and sickness cannot stay. So I have a few things I feel like the Holy Spirit's highlighting to me right now that He specifically wants to heal. And if I call something out that you're struggling with, I just want you to put up your hand, just keep it up for me. I felt during worship that someone had nerve damage in their body, that it was pretty bad today. Someone has nerve damage, you almost struggled to get out of bed today. Who is that? Someone with nerve damage, put your hand up. Any tingling throughout your body, any nerve damage, shoot your hand up, just keep it up. I felt like someone had scoliosis in their back. Someone's been struggling with scoliosis. I've been seeing God straighten so many people's backs. Just shoot your hand up. He's able to do that. Put it up high so I can see it if that's possible. Okay, there we are. Just keep it up for me for a second here. I feel like someone's been having hip problems. Like you almost need a hip replacement. It's getting to that point of where you've been having hip pain. Just shoot your hand up. Just keep it up for me. Someone's been losing eyesight in their eyes and it's been worrying them a lot. Someone's been having migraine headaches and struggling with headaches to the point of where you've been struggling to even work. I see that someone has carpal tunnel syndrome in their wrists from typing a lot. We thank you for healing. Diabetes, if you have diabetes, put your hand up. A sports injury in someone's ankle, God wants to heal that this morning. We thank you, Jesus. Loss of cartilage in the knees, a slip disc in the back. Okay, put your hands up. If any of that was you, put your hand up high. I just want to see. Put it up high so we can see it. Okay, what I want you to do is if you're around someone with their hand up, I want you to go to them now. Once someone's with you, you can put your hand down. Find someone with their hand up right now. Once someone's with you, you can put your hand down. We want everyone prayed for. And don't start praying for them yet. Just wait a second. What I'm going to ask you to do in a second is, that, is there anybody that still needs somebody? No? Okay. What I'm going to ask you to do in a second is I'm going to ask you just to ask what's wrong with them and then we're going to start praying for them. But we don't have to beg God to heal. He wants to heal more than you do. And you have authority to, to command that pain to leave and for healing to take place in Jesus' name. 
So you're going to use the authority you have and you're just going to command the pain to go in Jesus' name. You're going to command healing to take place in Jesus' name. So you can begin to do that right now. Ask what's wrong and begin to pray. We thank you, Jesus, for every person that's receiving prayer right now. God, we thank you that you said lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. Not they might recover, not they sometimes will recover, but every time they will recover, God. So right now in Jesus' name, we take authority over sickness. We command it to leave in Jesus' name. We command every person's body to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. We command every spirit of infirmity to leave right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you can start to wrap up your prayers. If you just got prayer right now, I want you to, if it's possible, I want you to test it out. Because faith looks like testing it out. I believe that you, are, you can you actually heal. Try it out if it's possible, if it's your back, give it a stretch. If it's, I know some things we can't test, but if you can, just give it a test right now. Try it out. If you are able to test and you feel at least 70% better, I want you to wave your hands at me. If you can feel a difference in your body right now. Could anybody feel any difference in their body? Okay, we're going to pray one more time then. Even Jesus prayed twice. I don't get why. No one really does, but He did. So, but this time we're going to go for anyone that needs healing. So if you need any healing in your body, just shoot your hand up right now. Any healing in your body, shoot your hand up. Guys, I know this is a healthy church, but it's not that healthy. Put your hand up. One day, one day it will be. But shoot your hand up high if you need healing. There's two in the front. Anybody else? There's one. Just keep it up till somebody gets to you. And then we're going to pray for you right now. So find someone with their hand up right now. If you still need healing and no one's praying for you, just put your hand up. Don't miss out on this opportunity. There's somebody in the back there. If someone can pray for the gentleman in the back. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, God, we take what you paid for on the cross. Complete healing. Complete cleansing from all unrighteousness. And all sickness leaves right now in Jesus' name. Be healed now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. We love you, Holy Spirit. Have you where we release your healing presence into this body these bodies right now that migraine I command it to leave now in Jesus name cartilage be restored to that knee right now in Jesus name thank you Holy Spirit thank you Jesus Again, if you just got prayed for, I want you to test it out for me. See if you can feel the difference. I know some things we can't test, but if you can, just 
give it a test. If you can feel the difference in your body, just wave your hands at me. There we go. Praise God. There's another one. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What did you get? What did you get healed of? Your back was sore every day. Amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Same for you also back. Incredible. Jesus, thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. I want to encourage you guys, just before I hand over to Pastor Vlad again, that you guys can heal the sick every day on the streets. They don't even need to believe. It's actually a great thing when someone doesn't believe God's real and God heals them. It freaks people out quite a lot. So every day you can pray for people on the streets. God wants to move through you in power. Bless you all. Come on, let's just lift our hands right now. Declare that over your life. You are the light in me. Everyone from the back to the front, declare that over your life that the light of God is going to shine through. Any shame you came with, any condemnation, any tape you have over your life, God is removing that right now. And this week, you will shine the light of Jesus. You will shine the power of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. given the opportunity this morning to those people who need to get right with the Lord this is the most I believe most important decision that you can ever make with your life even when you get healed you're still gonna die after you get freed from certain emotional bondages you're still gonna die the Bible says it is appointed for a man to die and then there is a judgment meaning we're gonna stand before God your good works cannot save you if they could Jesus didn't have to die on the cross if coming to church could save you Jesus didn't have to come on the cross and die for your sin. I went to Ethos Coffee this morning. It didn't make me into a latte. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. You have to come to Jesus and repent of your sin and place your trust in His finished work on the cross. Being Catholic can't save you. Having Christian parents can't save you. Having Christian grandparents can save you. Reading your Bible once in a while, giving to the Red Cross, not smoking, drinking or getting getting late that's not gonna save you only faith in Jesus will some of you here today you used to have a relationship with God but you walked away and then today God is calling you back whether you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time or recommit your life to Jesus if you're in one of these two camps 
I'm gonna count to three and when I do so I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand high even as I speak right now there's a little devil sitting on your shoulder says you're crazy don't do it but that devil wants to take you with him to hell because that devil is jealous of you when he committed sin God never gave him a chance to repent but not only God gave you a second chance God gave you a third chance a fourth chance a fifth chance he actually gave his son for you he gave his spirit to you and devil is so jealous he will do anything he can to take you with him to that lake of fire that's not designed for you it's not designed for me it's designed for the devil hell is hot forever is very long and Jesus is the only way to salvation if you need to get right with God I'm gonna count to three and when I do so I want your hand to be up if you're watching us on live stream you can also comment below say I need to get right with God and we're gonna pray with you the reason why I I give this call boldly because I don't want to see one person in eternity look at me and say Vlad you didn't preach the truth boldly you were afraid of me one two three if you need to get right with the Lord you raise that hand high and I'm gonna pray with you thank you wait for a few more seconds if you need to get right with Jesus if you're not where you're supposed to be just lift that hand high and I'm gonna pray with you it's the best prayer you can pray not just a prayer God bless me give me something but it's a prayer saying Lord I give you my life I give you my life in Jesus name for those of you who raise your hand or you wanted to raise your hand I'm gonna ask you to do something right now that's bold quickly come out of your seat and come meet me right here take that young uh, bring that young man here and if you brought a friend with you you can ask him right now say hey do you want to give your life to the Lord if they say yes you take him if they say no be respectful so you can just come and just bring them right here we're gonna pray with them we're old school we believe in coming to the front giving a life to Jesus even if it's one person even if it's two people I'm gonna wait for a few more seconds the Lord is knocking your heart is beating three times faster it's because Jesus is knocking at it and if he's knocking it's time to open the door it's time to open the door amen amen thank you Jesus thank you Lord for your grace thank you Lord for your mercy thank you Lord for your salvation amen I want us to pray a prayer together and this young man you're gonna pray this with me and church will pray together with him I want you to say Lord Jesus I am a sinner please forgive me of all my sin I admit my wrong I repent I turn my back on sin on the devil and on his kingdom and I renounce any connection with the kingdom of darkness I place my trust in Jesus in his finished work and I ask his spirit to fill me right now to deliver me to heal me and to restore me and I receive your free gift of salvation forgiveness and righteousness and I will walk out of this place a new man and a new woman in Jesus name amen church I want you to put your hands together for them hallelujah thanks for listening to this week's message from hungry generation stay connected with us on Facebook Instagram Twitter and snapchat by using at HungryGen. Stay blessed, and we'll see you next week.